0: Well, family, we're continuing with a series on 1 Thessalonians. It's uh, very likely the first letter of the Apostle Paul ever written. And um, Joseph did a great job last week of introducing that letter and also giving an introduction really to the Apostle Paul, and especially those three theological virtues that we see so often in his writings of faith, hope, and love. Um, But we're going to be continuing in 1 Thessalonians. I wanted to let you know why I like 1 Thessalonians um, why I like it is actually because so when I was in youth group and when I was in church, um, I was what they depending upon who was describing me. I was either one of the good kids, one of the sheltered kids, or one of the kids that you want to like beat up behind the playroom, like behind the playground. One of the one of the depending upon who's describing me. Um, and the thing about being like the good kid or the kid that always was a rule follower and like didn't really do anything wrong is. Um, That sometimes when I would go to church and we'd hear about the gospel and salvation from from sin and stuff like that, uh, you know, of course, just like everyone had sin in my life, I didn't like do everything right, of course. But it seemed like there needed I needed to have some kind of extremely dramatic story, like a turn away from drug addiction or something like that, kind of a real thief on the cross moment (laughs) that would really just bring that seal of authenticity to my faith, you know? And I was really just kind of like, you know, there were times it was kind of weird, that I was, but I was sort of like, yeah, man, I wish I was kind of like, you know, bold enough to do something like that and then get saved and then everything would be great. <laughs> but this is why I actually like First Thessalonians because Paul is actually writing to, in some ways, kind of the good kids of uh, the churches that he's founded. Remember, Paul's a missionary. He goes across the world three times and he founds all of these churches and a few of those churches are where we get all of the letters in the New Testament. It's the letter to the church in Corinth, the church in Galatia, the church in Colossae, and here the church in Thessalonica. And Paul's writing to encourage the good kids. He's paying attention to them. And he's, they've, they've done well, by the way. You know, the churches that Paul founds, they're probably not much bigger than us in this room, actually. I think the church in, in Corinth was probably about 50 people at its beginning, Um, but he's writing to a church that's done well. These are people under persecution, people that having accepted the gospel, um, they're under a good deal of pressure and persecution from the culture around them. But Paul is writing to encourage them to stay the course that they're on. And in a way, it's kind of like, it's one of these letters where it's kind of like we're seeing into a really personal correspondence. You know, Paul has a real relationship with these people, spent real time with them truly loved them. And as we'll see, that's going to be really important when it comes to what is the this, this seal of authenticity of the gospel that he has come to preach to them. That's what we're going to be getting into. You know, I thought it was you know, some kind of dramatic conversion from, a, from a, a, a very notoriously sinful way of life, but Paul's actually going to tell us you know, what is the seal of authenticity of the gospel? How do we know that really the word that I have brought is really the real thing? So, how does he do this? He does this by doing something kind of weird that I want to introduce to y'all because the more you read Paul, the more you're going to hear him do this. He actually does this by talking himself up. Um, or rather, more himself and his companions, Sylvanus and Timothy. Now, if I was gonna be encouraging someone in their faith, you know, if someone's coming to me, I, you know, for a pastoral meeting or something like that. I probably wouldn't start by talking about myself, uh, by talking, by kind of listing all of the great ways that I am a pastor, you know, probably wouldn't help. Um, But Paul actually does this in a weird way. He holds himself up as a model of righteousness. And he's doing this, he does this fairly frequently throughout his letters. It's worth pausing for a second and saying, what is this guy really up to? Is he really so kind of, uh, so sort of uh, uh, narcissistic as to just think that he needs to talk about how great he is, or is he so insecure um, that he needs to do that? Why is Paul talking about his conduct? Um, Well, you know how, I talked a little bit earlier about a seal of authenticity, right? Well, you know how certain products, uh, and things will kind of carry with it a sort of like a seal of authenticity, like, you know, how Apple or Macintosh will partner with different, you know, with different other partners that make accessories or that make, you know, that provide services or something like that. And they'll say that this is a, you know, this is an Apple authorized partner, authorized retailer, authorized manufacturer. It's like, we've looked at what these folks do, and this is up to our standards. Or sometimes kind of like collectible coins or something like that. If you go get like a, a, a re- supposedly extremely valuable old like coin or comic book, so I hear. Um, and they'll, they'll hold like a, a seal of authenticity, you know, from kind of like a ratings board or something like that. This is actually what Paul is doing in bringing up his conduct. And it's not just his conduct, but it's the way in which he first brought the gospel to the people in Thessalonica. That's what he's holding up. Not just himself, but the way in which he and his companions brought the gospel. See, behind the scenes, this is another thing you need to know about Paul that goes through a few of his letters. Behind the scenes, Paul is fending off challenges to his ministry. Um, It turns out that even at the very beginnings of the church, the church is burdened with what we might call today uh, church politics. <laughs> there are people behind the scenes who are going around to the churches that Paul has founding. We don't know everything about them. We don't much know much about them. Paul mentions them in passing. Sometimes he calls them Judaizers. Other times he calls them kind of sarcastically super apostles. Um, but they sometimes came along and they basically would, after Paul had left, and kind of say, oh yeah, that Paul guy, yeah. Well, he's really sweet, but we're really the real authentic uh, apostles that you need to listen to and follow. Um, sometimes they came along and taught things that were completely different than the gospel that Paul brought. Sometimes they came and they you know, mimicked the message, but they were there clearly to take advantage of the people. So Paul, by holding up his own conduct in how he brought them the message the first time, is showing the Thessalonians what the seal of authenticity that spiritual leaders are supposed to provide for the gospel that they preach. And it's a very instructive passage because, you know, all of us, uh, even myself, are under spiritual leadership. And it's a good reminder of what is it, what is the charge, what's that seal of authenticity that spiritual leadership is supposed to bring to the gospel that we preach? So let's look at what Paul says it is. So let's start in verse 4. Paul says, Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. See, the job of spiritual leadership is to lead people to God, plain and simple. But it is a great temptation as a spiritual leader to do everything in order to be thought well of by other people and just kind of leave the God part out. But Paul affirms here that his job is actually not to answer to the people, not even to answer to the Thessalonians themselves, but to God himself. This is what he means by saying we speak not to please man but to please God. Paul's defining his org chart, basically. There's God, and there's him, and then there's the people that he is to bring to God. It's very simple. Paul does not answer to neither the, the Thessalonian people, and he also does not answer to these other, uh, uh, these other so-called apostles who uh, may be kind of coming in and causing trouble. Now, as we'll see Paul has the utmost care and concern for his people and taking care of the flock, as we'll see, that is Paul's charge from God. But he isn't, it's important to know that he is not doing it for their approval. Their approval is not his um, you know, fulfillment of his charter from God. It's not, his, it's not his letter of recommendation. It's not his seal of authenticity. He does it for God's approval, so what does this mean for us? What what this really means for us is that in spiritual leadership in our lives, you know, spirit good spiritual leadership is not always going to tell you what you want to hear. It's not always gonna tell you that. If, by the way, you know, a pastor, if you know, if me, if Andy, Joe, Matt, Sandra, if we're up here and you're paying attention to us and you just happen to notice that every single thing that we say is uh, exactly what you hoped that we would say, then that's when you need to start getting suspicious and be concerned that maybe this person, maybe this person's here for me, but maybe they're not really leading me toward God because God is holy and we're not holy. And when holiness and unholiness come into contact, even that loving contact, it can feel uncomfortable at first. This, by the way, pleasing people. This was the sin of Saul. Remember, Saul, the first king of uh, the first king of Israel. Saul disobeyed God, and instead, and he did it because all the people were asking him to do something that God told him not to do. And remember, he confesses. He says, "I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice." See, the scripture tells us to fear God, and that's the first charge. That's the first seal of authenticity of spiritual leadership. See, pleasing God means, like we see in verse 2 of our Thessalonian passage, to declare the gospel of God to his people, even when it's hard to hear. It also means being willing to follow leaders who are willing to do that. So that's the first thing, pleasing God, not people, Secondly, is doing nothing out of greed. Let's look at verse five. Paul says, you know, to the Thessalonians, remember, we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. See, greed also can be a real temptation for spiritual leaders, you know, um, especially for, uh, for, for, for pastors, for spiritual leaders who are really, really uh, effective at, you know, gathering a really large crowd, you know, it can be a real problem to spiritualize gain. Um, a very common refrain that I often hear today is there's variations on a, on a way of saying, you know, if God wants to bless you monetarily, financially, materially, And he wants to do that by you giving to this particular ministry, right? Um, To this particular church. And to suggest that if you, it's really a, that your tithing is really not a gift of yourself and of your resources to God and to his mission here on earth, but it's actually more like a transaction. It's more like, uh, more like uh, a, uh, an investment scheme, but in this Earth, not in heaven, that if you give to this particular ministry at this particular time, in this particular place um, I've seen it be paired sometimes with, you know, we'll maybe plant a tree in Jerusalem for you or something like that then God will absolutely give you a return on this of investment in the form of money or success or wealth you will get that job, you know, you will get that car, you will get that family life that you so desire. He will absolutely give you that and as a return for the investment that you make now. So I want to tell you right now, just very plainly, that this is, uh, this is uh, spiritual malpractice um, and it ought to be avoided. Um, Paul tells us that it ought to be avoided. This message is not to be found anywhere in scripture. Now, scripture does tell us that it is important to tithe and important to give toward, especially toward the mission of God, give of our money, of ourselves, of our resources, toward the mission of God in this earth. Um, And he even says that we can expect a return on that. You know, he tells Peter, look, we, you know, you've, you've left nothing that you won't receive back. You know, families, lands in this time with persecutions, but he's talking about not the increase of our own households, but the increase of the church. And our share in that church. Instead, what we're assured of, what we hear from the Lord is that we must take up our cross and follow Him. And that along the way, we know that the Lord is going to provide for that journey. He's going to take care of us. But don't find yourself under a spiritual leadership that demands a certain kind of of here and now monetary investment for a here and now return on investment. That's acting out of greed. Paul says, actually, we did quite the opposite of that. That's not the authentic gospel of God, of taking up your cross, of giving toward the mission of the church. But we did nothing out of personal gain or greed. There's a really great, excuse me, there's a really great line in an old Christian manual called the Didache, that I really recommend reading. It's great. It's kind of like, it's sort of like a manual of, here's how you baptize people, here's how you deal with things. And one of the sections is, how do you deal with what was called prophets back then, but really just more like itinerant preachers coming around and asking you for things. It's a great, great moment. Um, and, you know, this is, uh, it, you know, the, and the, the Didache says, you know, it's, it's, it's not wrong to do this. It's okay. You know, these really are often, you know, real missionaries from God. They say, like, basically, um, give uh, give enough room and board to last them about three days. But if they go farther than that, then you might want to start getting suspicious. And one thing that it sa- that it says that is brilliant is that a prophet never sets his own table. I love that. If a prophecy somehow just happens to benefit me myself individually, maybe that's not a word from God. Paul wants to warn us about this. This. Acting out of greed is not the authentic gospel. So finally, you know, what is? And we really find this in verse eight. There's a a lot of things that we might say about this, but Paul really draws attention specifically to his gentleness when he is among them. In verse, uh, excuse me, in verse um, seven, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Instead, Paul models a what I'd call a very forgotten virtue today of gentleness. You know, it's something that isn't really valued uh, very much anymore, especially not among leadership and spe- or even even spiritual leadership. You know, leadership is to be compelling. It's to be motivational. It's to be very self-assured. Gentleness in that arena can seem kind of like a, like a net negative, you know. But this gentleness was Jesus's disposition. You know, Paul's words here of him being affectionately desirous of you, um, it really recalls what Jesus says about Jerusalem. Remember, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? You know, but you were not willing. See, gentleness does not mean weakness, it doesn't mean weakness. It means basically just how God is described in Scripture slow to anger abounding in steadfast love. That's gentleness. Paul brings out his own. He says, remember the message that I gave to you. I gave it to you in a spirit of gentleness. We were gentle among you. Why? It's because we loved you so much. It's because we are affectionately desirous of you. Um, we weren't even content just to speak words to you, but also share of our own selves. You know, he's talking about his time. He's talking about his his money, his resources. He's talking about filling people's needs. That's what he did when he was among them. See, in the end, by bringing up these qualities, Paul isn't really defending himself. It can kind of feel like he is sometimes, but he's not really defending himself. Instead, what he's doing is he's defending his gospel, the word that he brings, which saves. By bringing up the qualities of his conduct, what he's doing is he's educating the Thessalonians. He's educating us on the difference between the truth of God and the religious-sounding language that pretenders can often bring forward. What really is this seal that authenticates the saving word of the gospel? Well, the gospel of God, remember, is Jesus Christ himself. It's his son who came down from heaven, lived and died as one of us, took on our human nature, was crucified on the cross and rose again. That's the gospel of God and the promise of salvation that he brings. And so it makes sense that, you know, that seal of authenticity That a spiritual leader or a messenger ought to bring to that gospel is conduct that is worthy of Christ Himself, that actually embodies Christ Himself, that in a way speaks Christ Himself to the world. You know that your conduct really isn't just uh, deeds, It's it's also a message, it's a communication, it's like a sermon. You know, Jesus did absolutely nothing for His own gain. Instead, He gave Himself up completely. Remember, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's willing to do that. Jesus didn't come to please people. We know this very, very well by how he was treated. Instead, they rejected him and condemned him to death. And so the in the end, the body, the 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 job of spiritual leadership is to embody Christ in these ways. That's what Paul is saying. And in the end, that's what Paul's message is. He's essentially saying, you know, whoever's coming to you, these are the things that you cannot fake. You know, anything, anyone can say anything to you, but these are the things you can't fake. A, 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 a way of life that yearns and seeks after the Lord Jesus Christ is an, unfor, is an unforgeable seal of authenticity. That is capable of actually um, bringing people into a, to giving the gospel a hearing and bringing people into connection with God. By doing these things, Paul is discharging his duty as bringing people into relationship with God. Now, I'm I'm here to tell you that. I don't feel like I embody all of these things all the time as your spiritual leader, just to be clear. And I ask you to have patience with me. But as we're gonna see further in the letter to the Thessalonians, you know, God's patient with all of us, but he still demands, he asks, he, he encourages, he cajoles, he walks with us and pushes us toward living that life that is worthy of Christ in order to put that seal of authenticity on his word. In chapter one, Paul speaks of how the gospel comes not only in words, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And he's certainly talking uh, in part about miracles here. But you know, that holiness and that conduct of life is the power of God working in his people. You know, one of the things about the fact that we all know that we're sinful human beings and selfish, and we're not always gentle, and we do act out of greed, and we, we do act to please people more often than we'd like to admit. But honestly, the fact that we know this about ourselves, it means that when we see someone living in another way, we know that that's not the power of people. But that is the Holy Spirit of God coming in power. Uh, Sometimes people wonder, you know, if, if if the church is God's work on earth, then why are people in the church, why are leaders in the church so disappointing? It's a good question. One of the answers, and there's a few ways to answer that question, but one of the answers is this, that the church is full of people. people are selfish, they they live to please each other and they're often not very gentle. But when people are, when we do see that, we can be sure that that is the power of God and that he is in our midst. Because you can say all sorts of good words, but you cannot fake a holy life. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. Something we should earnestly pray for and earnestly uh, desire because it's that seal of authenticity, on the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, You know, uh, from next week, there's from uh, a future passage in, in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2, 19 and 20, here's what Paul says. He says, for what, he's talking to the Thessalonians, says, what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Um, I don't know if you've seen that little, like, uh, meme, I guess, on the internet. Um, I I think memes are, you know, memes are kind of just like what greeting cards used to be. You know, it's just like a little funny thing, and then you move on. Um, So if I bring up a meme, that's what I'm talking about. Um, Have you seen the one that says, like, always, it starts out, find yourself someone who looks at you like, and then it'll show a picture of, you know, Tom Holland, like, looking lovingly at Zendaya, his, uh, what is she, like, his wife, life partner for forever one, yeah. Um, yeah, you could just as easily do, you know, like, find someone who looks at you like, I don't know, who was, in, like, uh, like, Bruce Willis looked at Demi Moore or something like that, yeah, and it will show, like, a picture of that. Well, honestly, in, the, in these verses, we kind of get something of the same thing. Follow that spiritual leadership who feels about you the way Paul felt about the Thessalonians. Find a savior who thinks about you this way, not counting his equality with God as something to be clung to, not counting his power as something to lord over you, but the one who emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, giving up his whole life for you so that he could bring you holy and blameless, shaped, to look like him before the Father as his glory and his joy. Thanks be to God.